1: We're back with the family, and of course that means. Aren't you going to introduce yourself?
2: Oh, that—that's <laughs> that, well, that's that's what that was leading to. <laughs> in an interesting way of doing.
0: it. Okay,
1: this. Mm. ladies and gentlemen, with the family okay. starring. Yeah. Al- Star. Al- Grand Bernard happy? Rasmussen.
0: Well, which means I
2: thought you were going to be like, we're all yeah. here having fun or
1: something. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say.
2: Anyway, Al- Grand Bernard Rasmussen.
1: Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt-Bernard.
0: And Cassie Schrader.
1: Vince Wilson will join us right after this. We'll be talking weird and unusual history oh. right after this. It's time for Team KQ Walzer's third annual Tour to Cure ride. Join me, Doug Sprinthal, Michael Bryant, and a ragtag group of riders as we raise money to fight diabetes. This year, the ride is Saturday, June 1st, and starts at Boom Island. We take the 26-mile route. It's a ride, not a race, so people of all abilities are welcome. It's a worthy cause that raises millions to support research for a cure for this terrible disease. Go to diabetes.org slash or email Doug at walzer.com for more information.
0: Boingo, Boingo. It's Oingo, Boingo. Oh, That's yeah. been a while.
1: Oh, yeah. Been a while. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, Weird and Unusual History, uh, making, a ra- making a radio out of a cat, yeah. spy, bats, and more. Uh, Vince Wilson with us. Vince, how are you? I'm all right. How you
4: doing?
1: Not too bad. I never realized that I could, on today. I could do a morning show out of a cat. I didn't know that. <laughs> the radio cat. <laughs> So, Vince, where do we start? Because uh, I tell you, I've been told uh, you're a hell of a guest, so I can't wait to hear some of the stories. Vince Wilson has always been interested in science and history and the unexplained since as far back as he can remember. A hypnotist and futurist joined the American Institute of Parapsychology. Wilson is the author of Ghost Tech and Ghost Science. So, yeah, we like tech, we like science, we like ghosts, so we're in a good spot here, Vince.
4: (laughs) Well, thank you for having, uh, having me on. I'm glad I was able to be on here with such short notice. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a conversation a little while ago um, with Dave Schrader and the topic started coming up of weird history. You know, and there's a lot of history, of course, and there's a lot of weird history out there. You just, you can't um, get around that. You know, things of an unusual nature happen, and it's it's crazy when you think about it. Of course, we, you, you talk about the paranormal a lot. You know, I talk about the paranormal a lot. And, but that's a very debatable topic. You know, the theories, the application, is it real, is it true? Are they lying? Are they hallucinating? All those sorts of things have to be taken into account. However, there's things that are crazy, strange, unusual, and 100% real, undebatable histories. So I was wondering where would you like to start? Would you like to start with the human Z? Um the acoustic kitty or the fat Bob
2: I definitely want to hear about the acoustic kitty. <laughs> My yeah. wife wants to hear about the acoustic kitty. You
4: <laughs> said the human Z?
1: No, she said she wants to hear the 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 acoustic, acoustic kitty. Acoustic kitty,
4: yes. Oh, acoustic kitty. Okay, excellent.
1: okay. All right,
4: so During the Cold War, there was lots of attempts uh, from both sides to spy on the other. Obviously, a lot of uh, amazing technology that we take for granted today came out of Cold War technological development. All right, Um, cell phones, mobile phones—you know, um, the the internet—you know, all these things were developed due to military funding. Um, Some of them you know seem you know if you research some of that you'll find out it, it seems you know altruistic you know oh we got to share data between colleges and universities well mm-hmm. you know where do you think that money came from <laughs> you know um, the military the US government also the KGB you know the the USSR China and our you know and our enemies at the time some of them still borderline enemies today all right and one of the most um, amazing and horrible technologies that were developed were, was acoustic hitting. All right. It was a CIA, CIA project um, launched by the, um, the CIA's Directorate of Science and Technology. The 1960s intended to use cats to spy on Kremlin and Soviet embassies. Now, they weren't thinking about other animals. They had considered uh, dogs and squirrels and birds. And the problem with those are, it would just seem too unusual for these animals to be at a Soviet embassy. Even the dogs, you know, like why would it, why would you let a dog, it's gonna, you know, uh, a wild dog into your embassy? But a cat, on the other hand, a cat seems innocuous enough. Mm. All right, I'm saying so what could what go it. wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> they we'll it. get there. It, it does go wrong, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so the the people they had been experimenting with the idea of operating directly on the human ear. Uh, that you know, if they're using uh, medical technology and science at the time used for uh, helping and possibly even curing the deaf. All right, and they had researched animal ear, te- you know, biology uh, to see if they could affect that, and they were able to wire and implant. And no, the cat, believe it or not, did not, did not suffer through this, although uh, PETA certainly would not have approved no. of this project, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, put the cat, you know, under, as they say, uh, and surgically implanted a device into the cat's ear canal. And then wired it all the way down from the base of the back of the head. You know that little fatty spot, the part you would pick up a kitten with. Yes. All right. the The, the majority of the electronics were implanted there, and they ran the rest of it down the spinal cord to the tip of the tail. with oh. In a long in, uh, surgical implant, the tail was used. Believe it or not, you get as
2: the microphone. One.
4: An antenna, uh, okay. that's right, of course. Okay. <laughs> it perfect sense. The cat's tail was an antenna, all right? So the mission was to eavesdrop on, you know, the, the first attempt of it was an eavesdrop on two men in a park outside the Soviet compound in, on, on Wisconsin Avenue in Washington, D.C. The cat was released nearby, <laughs> all right? <laughs> so they had trained the cat to try to Acclimate to humans very easily, that they could, you know, point to it. But the problem with that is the word "training a cat." Yeah, <laughs> as you can imagine, that is something that any cat owner would tell you is implausible. The only thing they are trained, they can ever be trained to do, is acknowledge the fact that their food is being open. exactly
2: <laughs> all right.
4: <laughs> so, or where the litter boxes, and where it's time to go to the bathroom. Right. All right. Um, but that's about it. So according, there's two versions of the story, all right? The the first version is this. The, the cat was really aimed at the two people across the street having a conversation. Everything was on. The, the CIA agents were in a van nearby with all the electronic equipment that the 1960s had to offer. <laughs> the cat was pushed out into... This, you know, into the road to go across the street to spy on these two men. And in one version of the story, it was unfortunately the most likely and common version of the story the cat was immediately hit by a taxi cab. Well,
2: yeah, you throw a cat in the road, what's yeah. going to happen? Like I said, what could go wrong? That's right.
4: That cat went flat. <laughs> that that cat a... went God. flat. That's right. That's... Yeah, so however, however, there was a person who was part of this project, and yes, the project's official file name, Acoustic Kitty. Oh
1: my All God. Right? And the how much did this was cost? The was until
4: 1967, and one person associated with it said the equipment was taken out of the cat, and this is uh, Robert Wallace who said this, who was the former director of the CIA Office, Office of Technical Service, said the equipment was taken out of the cat, the cat was re for a second time and lived a long happy life afterwards you know but some people think they're yeah. pretty sure that it's actually just a nice little spin on a horrible yeah. terrible idea so, <laughs>
2: so this had to like go to a committee and and have a budget and people had to say yep good yeah. idea like <laughs> that's what is amazing more yeah. than anything yep. to me
4: yeah well think of the mentality that get movies that get terrible movies made you know yeah. so, and that is probably what you're dealing with here. The Hollywood and, and the CIA should probably, you know, brainstorm at one point and try to work out their problem.
2: Oh, maybe, you know? Yeah, so, or just bring a but person yeah, in with common Lots of things sense. have
4: gone through development <laughs> stages, passed through every level of hierarchy that uh-huh. that agency has. And still, someone said, let's do that, Yeah, all right? That's a good idea, you know? And that probably is a good way of segueing into the bath bomb, sorry. <laughs> so
1: another, I like it, I
4: like you know, it. Okay, so, you know, it's, it's another thing that reminds you of that old adage, never work with children and animals. Fortunately, I don't have any children's stories so where they wired or put exposed to, well, to children. Thank God. You know, but maybe that hasn't been declassified yet. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the bath bomb. The bath bombs were an experimental World War II weapon developed by the United States. The bomb is consistent. I'm just reading this directly from a uh, something I found on the Internet because it's an easy description. The bomb consisted of a bomb-shaped casing with over a thousand components, each containing a hibernating Mexican free-tailed bat with a small-time incendiary bomb attached. Drop them a bomb at dawn, the crafting would deploy a parachute in mid-flight and open to release the bat, which would then disperse and roast Roost, I'm sorry, roost in eaves and attics in a 20 to 40 mile radius.
5: Well, first they'd roost, then they'd roast. (laughs) What's that? First they'd roost, then they'd (laughs) roast. They roost, that's right. These areas i were catching on were set
4: on timers, would then ignite and start fires in inaccessible places in the largely wood and paper construction of the Japanese cities that were the weapons intended target. So, this was a World War II weapon. Now it gets better. <laughs> so, he goes, now it gets better. Yeah, yeah. So who came up with this idea? Who was the the person who developed this? Was it a biologist, an expert on bats, perhaps? Or was it conceived by a Pennsylvania dentist named Lintel S. Adams, a friend of First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt? I'm <laughs> guessing
2: the dentist. That is actually <laughs> who
4: <laughs> developed the idea of the bat bob, a dentist from pennsylvania wow <laughs> adam submitted to the white house in january 1944 1942 where it was subsequently approved by president roosevelt oh. roosevelt on the advice of donald griffith another advisor uh yeah so, it, so yes now here's what's interesting about this as crazy as this is the bat bomb worked okay whoa now it took two years, of uh, I'm sorry, three years of development from the point it was approved by Roosevelt in 1942 until it was actually ready to be deployed. So the bat, it, during one of its initial testing phases, the, um, some of the bats hi- came out of hibernation too quickly. What they were trying to find is the balance between cooling them down, which would cause hibernation, mm. and warming them up, which would awaken them. Okay, One of their tests awakened them too early the bats which had the incendiary devices that attacked. Now i remember this is be- this is before their miniaturized remote controls so these had essentially mechanical switches you know timers on them once they were released that was it they were going to catch on fire at some point <laughs> so um so the bats escaped and flew into a hangar at the military base, they were testing this at. There
3: we go. And,
4: and of course, the timer went off and, and that hangar exploded because it had munitions in it. It caught on fire and then blew up. It was, no one was injured, thank goodness, but it also set on fire a general's car. Um, and <laughs> according to the documents, and it, because this was considered top secret at the time, the base commander was not allowed to know what caused the hangar to burn up. They were just told it was an experiment, it's top secret, it's above your pay grade, basically. Uh, we only know about this decades later when the information was finally released to the general public. Yeah. So the back bomb, the idea was because most Japanese houses were paper and wood. It would be released from the air. Um, it would, it would, A parachute would uh, retract in the back. Slowing it down, it would all these mechanisms—over a thousand parts and pieces inside the bomb—would release the previously hibernating bats, wake them up, and send them forth into the Japanese cities. However, <laughs> there, the reason you never heard about this ending the war <laughs> or being deployed is because that when it was ready, it was already. 1945 ah, oh
2: the bomb that's
4: right mm-hmm. so the um, the back bomb was never tested <laughs> that's right the five bomb was never tested in the field because they had already used the two atomic bombs of Japan which ended the war
1: God what a story Vince you're for uh, what I understand you're full of stories man this is great <laughs>
4: Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on today. So I, the, the other story I pulled out for you, now this is a okay. a controversial story, obviously. All and, right. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, this is the one that is more, more theory than actual um, reality, okay? Some people claim that this was done, that these experiments were carried out in, in uh, the... And this was a KGB-funded experiment. I already did two U.S.-funded experiments. So I thought it was important that we kind of cover, um, you know, one of our enemies at the time I agree. You know, during Vince,
1: the Cold War. Vince, I need to take a very quick two-minute break. Uh, can we come right back after okay. that and get to part three? No problem. Excellent. We'll be right back with Vince Wilson with the family.
0: Well, they didn't have a bat bomb song. No, now, we no didn't have
1: bombs. bat bomb song. That's true. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Vince Wilson, our very special guest, telling some very interesting, very interesting <laughs> stories about how the world works. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we love these stories, Vince. So, so you had uh, your third story was. Yep. So the the third story was, as I was mentioning before the break, was
4: a one that is. Um, maybe so classified information regarding the reality still has not been released, all right? It is a controversial topic, to say the least. Is it possible that scientists had actually done this? There have been reports in China that successful experiments in this regard to build an army of super soldiers, for lack of a better term. An army of hybrid, uh, I don't know how you would put this, creatures, you know, that walked on two legs, that their genetics were only half human. The other half, of course, being chimpanzees.
5: <laughs> what?
4: <laughs> okay,
1: chimps and man. So, <laughs> so we're going backwards here. <laughs> there,
4: there have been two reported cases of attempts by two actual world governments, major superpowers no less, attempting to hybridize, hybridize humans and chimpanzees, or in some cases before, you know, this is, some of these tests took place decades before we understood chromosomes and DNA the way we do today, but as you know, or may not know. Chimpanzees share ninety-five percent of human DNA. Right. All right. The uh Bobondo or um uh, what is it? The uh uh it's a miniature, it's, like, it's considered a um, I forget the term for it. But anyway, it's a smaller chimpanzee and that has ninety seven percent human D- DNA match in its chromosomes, it's DNA, all right. So um the first reported attempt at this was by uh, Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov, was the first person to attempt to create <laughs> human-chimp hybrid by artificial insemination. He outlined his <laughs> ideas as early as 1910, in a presentation to the World Congress of Zoologists in wow. and, and Graz. All right, in the 1920s, Ivanovich Carried out a series of experiments, culminating in disseminating three female chimpanzees with human sperm, but he failed to achieve pregnancy. All right, (sighs) he then moved on to human female volunteers. What? man. That's (laughs) that's right. Um, he, he, He was able to cross out 34 inseminations, six resulted in pregnancies only one of which ended in successful birth of a camera the cross between a male uh guanaco female uh so, so yeah so there's <laughs> there is a. Uh, it didn't result in a birth thank goodness right um but the, his experiments were delayed by the death of his last orangutan um but you know apparently he had other animals but for some reason the death of orangutan really upset him uh, the next year, he fell under political criticism, for obvious reasons, from the Soviet government, and was sentenced to exile in Kazakh SSR. He worked there at Kazakh the Veterinary Zulo- Zoological Technical Institute and died of a stroke two years later.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
4: So, there, so there's rumors that in the '70s, the, the, in the '70s, that China itself had been working on similar experiments to create a um a hominid, you know, hybrid, you know, of apes and humans through artificial insemination and perhaps even later on with the advent of DNA technology increasing cloning being available, crossing those in order to create an arm an unstoppable army and the and the like the the kind of things you would think of from *Planet of the Apes.
2: But I don't understand why it, this would result in an unstoppable army. I mean, you just throw them a mango and they get distracted. <laughs> uh, that chimps are actually
5: is... very they are very strong and very violent.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah,
5: that's correct. a gun, you know, they, would, they be, wouldn't be A very... chimpanzee is, is three to five
4: times stronger than a human man. Mm-hmm. But you it's know, the, uh...
2: still an animal. I mean, you're not going gonna... <sighs> to...
1: They'd be difficult to train, yeah.
2: Yeah, I would think so. I don't know.
1: No, I do have to tell you something, Vince. And I'm very serious uh, about this. I've got a 32-inch inseam and a 37-inch sleeve length. Do you think I'm one of those monkey boys?
4: Hmm, that explains <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I actually have the same measurements myself. I'm six foot four inches tall. I have a 32-inch inseam and a 37-inch uh, arm length. But Are you so really? I don't,
1: <laughs> I <gonna> say, what? <laughs> honest to god it's just i am a monkey man there's no it's been pointed out to me several times you know you're kind of a monkey man well thank you thank you very much
2: oh i just uh, i don't
1: know so so they would because they were so strong this would all be hand-to-hand combat is that what they were talking about
4: well i think they wanted to do is they wanted to have their best objective you know if the experiments had concluded and some say that the Chinese actually succeeded and destroyed the evidence. Um, actually, the, their best hopes were to have a soldier that was um, had human
1: intelligence and ape strength. Human intelligence and ape strength. Then
2: most likely it would be the other way around.
1: Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. It a
4: bad thing to be if it had human strength. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and,
2: monkey know, intelligence. and
1: monkey intelligence.
2: <laughs> you know that's what's going to happen.
1: <laughs> well, no, because look, basically, I, I, his name is Kendall Norberg, so <laughs> he's he's my, my my best friend in the world, and he is also well at his office. He's the vice president or one of the directors of a of a, a company, and in his office, his professional office there is a picture of a silverback ape that was given to him by his coworkers because they said he reminded him of a silverback ape. So that's real nice. So, yeah, Vince, when, when Kendall and I walk down the street, it's like monkey time. There's no doubt about it. It's just unbelievable. These are great stories, Vince. How, much, how long did you have to research all this? You, you find these things. It's amazing.
4: Well, the, a lot of it is, some of the information, in fact, most of it's available online, of course. There's, there's several books on it. Um, and there's uh, some documentaries that cover some of it. This is a great show that came out. It was hosted by, I don't remember the actor's name, but he, he was the star. He played the crazy scientist in um, that show Fringe. And he hosted a show called Dark Matters. So and at least two of these stories appeared on there.
1: Oh, okay. So the the rest
4: of the yeah. So the rest of the stories, you could probably find a lot of details. I tried to get some juicy extra bits from you for you tonight that might not be available on a lot of the other shows out there for your show today. Um, but yeah, you can, you can research a lot of this online. Um, the back in acoustic kitty Kill- kitty, they are both available on the media. <laughs> they don't get everything in there. Poor kitty. <laughs> um, and of course, they don't get everything in there like I mentioned in the show, but it, they're on there. Um, so, yeah, these these are uh, generally available to the, the public. Um, you know, th- through books online. There's a few podcasts that cover strange history that you probably wouldn't do that would cover a couple of different.
1: Reasons. I think it's wonderful. I'd love yeah. to have you back on talking about this, Vince. This is terrific.
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, I didn't even get a chance to go into uh, Edgar Allan Poe's you know,
1: the theories behind the death. Oh, wait a minute. How much more? Do you do? You have five death. more minutes? <laughs> yeah, I could probably do five more minutes. I don't, well, if uh, you don't mind if I can't look at my notes since I'm driving.
4: But, uh, oh, well, if, I don't uh, know if uh, I want to
1: distract you while you're driving, Vince. Or get no, a no, ticket.
4: No, I, I've got Bluetooth on, so you So um, All right. So, yeah. If you, so,
1: um, so, so you were talking about yeah. Edgar Allan Poe.
4: So Edgar Allan Poe died under mysterious circumstances in 1849. All right. His uh, death day was January 19th, if I'm not mistaken. You might have to fact find that. I'm pretty sure that, that date is correct. Um, he was only 40 years old when he died. He was discovered um, in front of a voting hall, or actually, recent evidence, and, there, and believe it or not, warning for evidence always comes out, even to this day. Recent evidence suggests that he died inside the voting hall, not outside the or the gutter, like a lot of people right. have claimed, uh, he had. This is a more interesting story, I guess, to say he was found in the gutter. But no, he was actually found inside the voting ball the area in Baltimore known as Little Italy. He was disheveled, slurring his feet uh, kind of uh, all over the place in speaking. Uh, no one could figure out what he was saying. He asked for a friend of his, he was calling out a name that no one recognized. Or and he died three days later at Church Home Hospital in Baltimore City. All right? So a lot of this is uh, very strange, uh, very unusual. All right? Um, now, of course, you I'm sure you've heard that he was a drunk and a opium addict. Right. And a womanizing cad, as they would have said back then. Cad. You know, uh, but the, most of those stories are not true. Um, Poe actually had a literary enemy named rufus griswold and it it, doesn't that sound like a bad guy's name (laughs) (laughs) yes
1: it does actually if
4: you're if you're trying to think of someone you know just by the name alone he would you know you would clearly identify him as the murderer in a a bad mystery novel rufus griswold well rufus um you know hated edgar Allan poe he hated his talent he was very jealous and envious man he was he was a he was a scoundrel himself. He took bribes uh, from poets and writers to appear in his collection of literary works that he published. On the, uh, I think I, I think it was an annual volume or something like that. But anyway, um, he hated Poe because he believed Poe had written a negative review about one of his books under an anonymous name. Uh, Griswold hated Poe so much that the day he died, he actually published anonymously like a coward in a, lo- in a local newspaper. That Edgar Allan Poe died today, and the world is a better place for it. Basically, what he said, Ooh, you know, cool. and and, we're, and no one's upset about it. Just somebody just paraphrasing this Um, so it, it that kind of went on for a long time. In fact, Griswold uh, went on to actually write Poe's biography and scammed his aunt out of the right to Poe's work, so he could include the biography at the front of every volume, and uh, it ended up in the uh, biographies he wrote up that Poe was an alcoholic that he was opium addict, and that he he was a womanizer and liar and plagiarizer. Alright, none of these stories were true. In fact, Poe had a weakness uh, for alcohol. He was he couldn't drink very much before he got sick. He was not. all of his friends said that he never was known to take any kind of drugs. Um, you know, he considered himself a sophisticated uh, man about town. Mm-hmm. It would not have that level of uh, you know taking illicit drugs or anything like that. Um, and also he was very happy with the, the way his brain worked, despite himself for being depressed all the time. Um, so there's some, a lot of theories about how Poe died. All right. Um, there's the four most prominent ones are uh, these popular ones are tuberculosis. You may have heard that before.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Your study or background of Icarina Poe, of course, his first wife, His most beloved wife, uh, Virginia Clempo, died from tuberculosis. All right, it was a horrible disease um, called consumption at the time because it consumed you from the inside out. It caused you to cause you to wither away and to cough up blood. It was it was horrible. And uh, Virginia died from tuberculosis, TB consumption. All right. Another theory is that Poe uh, died from. Uh, a scandalous kind of voting fraud at the time called cooping. Uh, this is a very popular theory with, uh, you know, Poe historians that he was kidnapped and forced to vote for a candidate over and over again under in different disguises, different clothes. I might explain why his clothes were different, why he was found at a voting hall he died, uh, That he was uh, he, especially if you think that voting is weird today and it's full of fraud and scandal. It was worse back then, trust me. Um, and and that explained the situation he was, and he was, uh, you know, given an overdose in order to try to get rid of him because he was yes. uh, that's a That's very popular theory. Another theory is that he was murdered, perhaps by agents of Bruce, Rufus Griswold or another enemy of his. He had a few. All right, he ha- he might have had gambling debts at the time. He was he also had possibly two thousand dollars on. Him equivalent of uh, 200,000 things um, because he was trying to collect money for a new literary magazine called The Stylist that he was going to have published. All right. So it is possible that he was murdered for his money or murdered for revenge. And, of course, the fourth one and the most interesting one, in my opinion, uh, is rabies, believe it or not. Have you ever heard that one before?
5: No. Andy's bobbing his mm-hmm. head. Yep. Heard heard it. It. Oh, yeah, rabies is actually very deadly. Yeah, Poe
4: wasn't known to be a lover of animals, a particular cat. He had a cat named Pluto. Of course, named after the uh the the uh, Greek or uh, the Greek god of uh, or uh, Roman god of of death, Pluto was his cat, and he also was known to be cat, straight cats outside of his of the house in downtown Baltimore all right so um he may have contracted in fact, there was a tv series that came out years ago called diagnosis history in which he would submit if you remember that if he, was, he would submit the symptoms of a historical death to john hopkins hospital and see if the doctors can figure out or conclude you know what was the cause of this historical figure's death based on the symptoms uh, but not given the name of the historical figure, so they would be. You would say, "Here's the symptoms of this person. Can't tell you who it is, but what do you? What is your idea about what killed them?" It would be laid out like a bullet point list. This person had this, this, and this, and they died from this, and this, and they, there's this. The uh, the diagnosis doctors came back with. Once again, this person they had no idea who it was was rabies because uh, uh, Poe did have trouble drinking water that's one thing that's remembered although most of the hot, in fact all of the hospital records are missing um from the, those that time period we know nothing about what they wrote down in regards to his diagnosis but we do know that he had trouble drinking water and hydrophobia is a symptom of uh rabies what
1: an amazing story that is so Edgar Allan. I, I was going to ask you this, Vince. Do you know, I, I think Dylan Thomas was the guy that was found in the gutter, right? Dead. And I think a lot of people confuse the Dylan Thomas story because I, I believe they were both found in Baltimore. But I think Dylan Thomas was a guy that actually was found in a gutter. And people just kind of crossed over information and decided it was Poe that was found in the gutter. So it's kind of like politics today. When they come on television, you know they're lying. <laughs> so that's that. That is the, yep. Vince, I, I look forward to the next time we have you on. I love these stories. I think everybody loves these stories. It's, uh, you know, it's real history. Well, I'd
4: love to put some more together for you and, and be back on again. Yes, yeah, Let me know when you'd like to have me on. I've
1: got time for you. We will absolutely get that done, Vince. Thank thank you very much for your time. Vince Wilson, ladies and gentlemen.
4: Yeah, no got, problem. Have a great day.
1: You too, sir. Bye. <laughs> we'll take a break. Be right back with the family.
3: And the best part is
1: you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. I'm talking to Neil Sheehy, ex-NHL defenseman. Neil, you've had great success following the Nutrimose Wellness Plan. How much weight did you lose?
3: Tom, I dropped over 63 pounds in 44 days. But more importantly, I know how to keep it off.
1: That's great. What makes Nutrimost different from all of those other programs out there?
3: In addition to my success, I have two brothers and two sisters who had great success on the Nutrimost wellness program. And collectively, we all lost a total of 222 pounds on the program. My brother and I were so impressed that we decided to open up a clinic in Plymouth.
1: Find out how and why Nutrimost is unlike any other weight loss plan by attending the Nutrimost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, June 4th at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutrimost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Register for the Nutrimost dinner or schedule your immediate consultation. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. We're rocking out, man. We are. I love this song. Mm. The beautiful Beep bow the beautiful Beepo. Every time
0: I think of right. Edgar Allan Poe, I think of Marilyn Manson music. Yeah. I don't know why.
1: I understand that. That dark. I love that. Do you ever see the video for this? Yes. With those tall, ghostly figures. Kind of yeah. Like, I like,
0: yeah, I had that. Well, that was very common in the 90s, They, especially with um, grunge rock and um, metal, that they would do this weird distortion with the lens, and it made people look almost like a funhouse effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, let's see, Soundgarden did it a lot. I even think Nirvana did it in a couple of their videos as well. Oh, they did? Yeah, yeah. It's like this weird, wavy, kind of funhouse mirror look to them, and it made them look taller and thinner, and I don't know, it was weird. But, yeah, that was very common in the 90s.
1: I mean, they look like Slender Man, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. They look a lot
1: like Slender Man. It's a very cool video. Like Mm -hmm. I said, Marilyn Manson is nuts, but I do like his music. (laughs) Well, most of his music, not all of it, but you know. Uh, What is the opposite of Nailed It? Netflix on Tuesday evening promptly removed one of the thumbnails it has in rotation for the reality competition. Nailed It. Catherine, you watch Nailed It?
2: Uh, Yeah, I've watched it, yes. (laughs) It's hilarious. I think it's very funny. Did you watch it? I, I I I think I made you watch it a couple times.
0: I haven't watched it, but I've seen so many memes. (laughs) <laughs> of the nail that, especially when it comes to, it's basically, it came off of Pinterest, mm-hmm. and you know people do all these you know, baking like cakes and stuff, and they're elaborate. yeah, well, they, they yeah, they <laughs> they
2: think that they're really good bakers oh, and, then, God, and then they have oh, to create God. something that a professional baker, <laughs> Created, they have to try to copy it, and it's usually just the most disgusting disaster.
0: Well, yeah, because like they'll have like a, a lamb, yeah, like, for a birth of a baby, they'll have like a, a lamb cake, and then the cake, cake shaped like a lamb, and then, <laughs> and then you have somebody who tries to do it at home. It looks like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh,
2: yeah, it's very. It, it so can be very funny. terrible. <laughs>
1: well, didn't we watch? The, I think you had me watch the episode about halloween
2: yes the halloween one they were
1: making halloween cakes and it was like oh my god they were looking monstrous anyway
2: well and they kind of had to make it like sometimes they have to make a whole display so it gets yeah. pretty elaborate
1: <laughs> yeah it's it got elaborate all right so anyway Netflix on tuesday <laughs> evening promptly removed one of the uh thumbnails it has in rotation for the reality competition nailed it after the questionable composition was brought to the attention of co-host nicole Bayer. Uh, Here's the deal. Said thumbnail uh, featured assistant director Wes, who sometimes appears on camera, and co-host Jacques Torres. Netflix is known to run A-B tests of different thumbnail images on its homepage, tailored to specific customers and their uh, established preferences, or merely to offer a variety of visual cues. The streamer has also been accused of uh, changing the order in which episodes are arranged based on the viewer's assumed sexual identity. Huh? What does that mean?
5: I don't know. It means people are looking for a reason to be special.
1: But uh, it said the streamer has also been accused of changing the order in which episodes are arranged based on the viewers' assumed sexual identity, but that's a whole other hullabaloo. I don't understand what they even mean by that. I don't either. I don't really understand that. I remember reading somewhere that at Netflix puts men on the thumbnails of its shows and movies a lot. But, yo, this is nuts. Nicole Byer is nailed it. I love Wes and Chef Jacques, but come on, this is so upsetting. Oh, so they don't even have her in the picture. Yeah, The two guys are in the picture. Then there's a, I don't know, there's a cake or something. So yeah, some social t- yeah. media person
5: is upset that there are men in a thumbnail and we're all paying attention to them.
1: Uh. Hmm. Bayer at first responded with a series of tweets that question the thumbnail's composition saying if Netflix didn't sign my checks and give me a huge platform and opportunity to showcase my comedy, I would talk about how disrespectful this is to me, a black woman, and how black women are a lot of times erased from many different conversations. Oh my I would talk about how it takes, uh, it makes me know my true value as the host of the show, where I work incredibly hard to elevate the material given to me. I would talk about how this is essentially whitewashing for more views.
5: Well, guess who just made herself unhirable.
1: Oh, yeah, I, it's pretty much true. Why would she? Why would she think that whitewashing for more views? Every show on television, every commercial. Look, if this were true. Why is it that about eighty percent of commercials now concern contain at least one black person?
5: Oh yeah, white people are quite underrepresented in media right now. They are. So but I don't it's understand. It's never enough.
1: I don't understand what they team, always but, need more. Well, I guess that's what it is. It's just not not enough still. There mm-hmm. are black people in every commercial you see on TV. Just about I would say eighty percent of them, and maybe even higher than that. So if it works to sell products, that this is why I bring it up, because <laughs> if it works to have black people in your commercials to sell products. Why would whitewashing it uh, raise the views? It would diminish the views according to those figures?
2: I don't know. I, I just don't She's know if just anything a is, that we
1: shouldn't be paying just attention to Anything's anymore. real anymore. I don't think anything is real anymore. I think there's no such thing as reality anymore. Yeah, just, people have lost yeah. their minds.
2: I think the, the easiest way to get attention is to start yelling about yep. something and everybody's like, oh, my God. Uh.
1: But, but there's there's no argument there. Again, white people are, and again, I don't give a rat's ass one way or the other, but white people are underrepresented in commercials and most TV shows now and all the rest of it. Uh, somebody asked me this question, and I said, I don't know. Um, and it was a black person that asked me this, by the way. He said, do you think, and then Catherine and I talked about it, do you think that Big Bang Theory will be the last pretty much 99% white cast of a show and ever again?
5: Which is even arguable because half the cast is Jewish, and they don't always identify as white.
1: No, they don't always. So Then you got to... Uh, What's his name? Kapal? What's his name? Raj?
2: Oh, Raj. Oh, yeah. yeah so, yeah, 99%
1: really... white. You mean one out of four? <laughs> I suppose that's a good way to put mm. it, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't really understand why someone would say you whitewashed it to get more views when actually having black people selling your products works very well. I That doesn't make any sense to me.
5: She wants attention and victim. I guess.
1: Ducks. I guess you're right about that. It's just all about being a victim.
2: Well, and it mm-hmm. could just be that the Maybe the ratings are falling because how many, you know, cakes, cake well, disasters uh, yeah, can I mean, you see before it exactly. gets to be like, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't care to watch that ever They again. should
2: have exploding cakes. bats.
1: They should have exploding <laughs> <I> bat, bats. <laughs> exploding
2: on. They should bat get exploding
1: cake. bats. Look, <laughs> what we're going to have to sooner or later understand is the only way this is all going to work out is if everybody gets treated with respect not better not worse everybody gets treated the same with respect and then shut the hell up all the rest of you trying to cause problems
2: well that's what we were talking about last hour with the cops you know i was talking yeah. about that that cop at the beach was getting screamed at by some woman swear sworn at and Down in Florida, I saw a very young kid swearing and screaming at a cop. And they just they have to sit there and grin and bear it. They're Mm -hmm. not allowed to do anything about it anymore.
1: It is pretty amazing. I mean, if you're not
2: respecting somebody in a uniform with a gun that could arrest you and is trying to actually help this cop was trying to help this kid find his bike. Yeah. He thought it was stolen and he's like screaming at this cop. I just I mean, we don't respect anything
1: anymore. No, we don't. There's
2: just no respect.
1: And what we all want. Rodney
2: Dangerfield was right.
1: He was. Rodney Dangerfield had it nailed. We all want to be victims for some reason. I don't feel victimized by anybody, and people have actually victimized me. Uh, But I don't focus on being a victim like, God, people love to be the victim. I don't get
5: that. It's an easy way to deflect people from your true failings, from your shortcomings. But, it, but if, you're, <laughs> if you're a victim, <laughs> then you can't ever possibly be wrong about anything. Well, I know, but victim. if you're
2: if you're sitting there identifying as a victim <clears throat> and constantly portraying yourself as a victim, isn't that wouldn't that lead to some sort of depression? Well,
5: or? yeah, half, most of these people who do this are they hate themselves and they hate everyone else.
1: I guess they I just guess. hate right everything about, about
5: life, yeah, which I mean, is why they have to constantly be doing very yeah, It's sad. seriously
2: unhealthy to sit there and focus on yourself being a victim constantly. Yeah, the
5: few the few people I know who have a victimhood complex, every single one of them is depressed. Oh, really?
1: Oh, yeah. I suppose that is true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That would make sense there. So this is all about depression more than anything else.
5: Well, it's a or way addiction.
2: to addicts act that way too. A lot it's of a
1: times. way to make yourself.
5: It's an easy way to get uh, kudos for doing nothing, which makes you feel better about yourself. But deep down, they know that it's all fake praise, which doesn't do anything for their depression. but But in the moment, it's basically, it's like, it's almost like a psychological form of cutting. You tell everyone you're a victim. They make you feel better by heaping praise on you at the moment. And then when the praise wears off, now you're just a victim that no one cares about anymore.
2: Well, the thing is, is that it it balances it, it it screws up the balance of power. If I view you as a victim, poor Andy. Andy needs my help. Andy can't do anything for himself. Right. Oh, Andy, yeah. Andy mm-hmm. and and he sits there and goes, Oh, you're right. I can't do anything for myself. I'm right. I'm the, I'm the one who's victimizing yep. him all over again by pretending that he's a poor. Boy who can't yeah. do anything for himself. It's just, it's a cycle that is not
5: good. Well, that's why once their f- five minutes of fame wears off for being a victim, they inev- inevitably just go right back to being depressed. I suppose that yeah, is true.
2: Absolutely. it's People
5: it's, need to stop feeding into victim complexes. It's very unhealthy. And why do they? I mean, I, I just again, it gives them a shield. It's is a warped was... sense of empathy. Yeah, I suppose that's. You, that. know, you it's, see a sad puppy or something and you feel bad it, it makes sense but with humans I mean you know a puppy probably didn't do something yeah, to make but itself they're helpless sad and
2: they don't have their own voice
5: but when people right. see humans and humans often do make mistakes but people don't see that they just see oh sad person how how sad I should make them feel better mm-hmm. even though
1: you know half the time these people ended up doing them to themselves yeah, it kind of seems like that. I really wish we'd get away with that. Once again, why don't you look at little kids? Yes, I know their brains aren't fully formed, and they're only this, and they're not very mature, but they're always happy. You know, maybe well, you're overthinking it. Well, not not always. <laughs> little Miss
2: Funny yet. is not always That's true. Right. no. Especially if things, yeah, no. She points. She points right at people, and she no. <laughs> If she just in a bad mood, it could be just someone on the street. Uh,
1: <laughs> no. That's true. Well, you're not lying about that one. That's, that's an absolute fact. Uh, yeah. Oh, Fonny, you're unbelievable. She
2: is something else.
1: Great guest today, I thought. Cam was terrific. Vince was terrific. Yep. I like the stories. I
2: mm-hmm. like the acoustic kitty. <laughs> kitty. Yeah.
1: The acoustic
5: kitty. Uh, so wonder... I, I looked it up, by the way, and apparently, according to the guy who, like, I think it was the director... It somehow cost twenty million dollars. Oh my god. To put a radio that, in a cat. Oh my god. You know <laughs> $20 that million. just
2: doesn't surprise me.
5: No, it does not.
2: Uh, Somebody got rich off that lame brain idea.
1: Pretty much true. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.